Have you checked out the PTSD Wives Handbook? This book is for the wife whose spouse has survived trauma and is now navigating through mood swings, flashbacks, and mishandled emotions. PTSD can create a toxic home environment and cause a divide in the closest and most meaningful relationships. As a caretaker, the PTSD wife is finding herself at the receiving end of anger, aggression, and constant negativity. This can create a personal, mental, and spiritual health crisis for her. In this book, Coach Leah uncovers the hidden wounds of trauma and the effects that it can have on your relationship. Based on biblical principles, she teaches you the tools and resources that are needed to handle stressful situations and to seek help from the Lord and foster a deeper relationship with Him. By reading this book and putting the principles into action, you're going to learn how to take control of your life and grab hold of the power that lies within. Grab your copy of the PTSD Wives Handbook today by clicking the link in the show notes. Now, back to the show. Lord help the helper. We're talking about caring for the caregiver, y'all. Come on in. Let's talk about it. My name is Leah Huggins. I'm a wife, a mother, and a proud U.S. Navy veteran. After two tours to Iraq, my husband was diagnosed with PTSD. My world spiraled out of control as fear, anxiety, doubt, and depression took over. I gave my life to Christ, took on a new mindset, and let go of the negativity of my past. I now help wives to find healing, encouragement, and strategy to overcome the effects of PTSD on their daily lives and in their marriage. So come on in and let's talk about it. Welcome to Marriage, Motherhood, and PTSD. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Marriage, Motherhood, and PTSD. This is the place where we empower women to support their spouse through PTSD without losing themselves in the process. I'm your host, Coach Leah, and I'm so glad that you joined us today. All right, you guys, we have a good episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking about the challenges you face as being a caregiver for your spouse. As a wife, you are automatically put in the position of being a caregiver. You know, the Bible says that we were created to be a help. Now, this is not about servitude, right? This is not where we're talking about the wife being inferior because she's supposed to cater to her husband. No, the wife is the missing piece to the puzzle. She completes the whole thing. You know, the Bible says there was no suitable helper for Adam. So the Lord created Eve. She was a solution to the problem. And that's exactly what we are as wives. We are a solution. As a spouse of someone that has gone through trauma, you're going to find that you're going to have to wear many hats. You know, you're a nurse, you're a doctor, um, administering care and making sure that they take their medicine. Um, You're a nutritionist, making sure that they eat and making sure that they eat, period. Okay. Um, You're a therapist, sometimes a priest being their sounding board and uh, where you have to listen to them vent and pray for them when they need it. Um, You definitely have to be a public relations specialist, okay, in (laughs) controlling the narrative and being a peacemaker among friends and family. Um, That's just a few. But there are times when this can be overwhelming and it seems like the burden of everything is on you. And this is where we can experience burnout. And then we break down and then who's going to help the helper, right? (laughs) So that's what we're going to talk about today. 
We have an amazing guest with us today. She's a wife, she's a mother of two, and she's a Navy veteran who's dedicated to the practice of servant leadership. Her personal brand emphasizes the importance of how to give to others without losing yourself in the process, which is exactly what we're going to talk about on this show. I'm so blessed to call her my friend and my mentor, and she's quickly become my sister, and I'm so blessed to have her on the show today. Everybody give it up for Mrs. Christina Sayward. Yay! Christina, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you being here. You are so welcome, Leah. I am just so excited to come and sit with you for a bit and just talk about things. So thank you so much for having me today. This show today, I think, is just going to be an extension of who we are. (laughs) Yes. We spend a lot of time talking, and I love it. I I don't get a lot of work done. (laughs) Girl, we be trying. We try. (laughs) If our supervisors are listening, yes. Yes. We We get a lot of work done. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So tell the people a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do. Tell us about yourself. So I am from a small parish in Louisiana called Acadia Parish. Um, My dad is an engineer and he moved us to Southeast Texas when I was about nine. So I grew up half of my childhood in Louisiana and the other in Southeast Texas in a town or a city, I should say, called Beaumont. So that's where I'm from. Um, I'm a good old Southern girl. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Now, tell us a little bit about your husband. John is one of the nicest people in the world. Oh, thank you. I I think so, too. I absolutely love him. I affectionately refer to him as my brother, John. Yes, yes. (laughs) Tell the people a little bit about my brother. How did you guys meet? So um, John and I have been married for almost 25 years. Um, He and I met when we were both very junior enlisted in the Navy in San Diego. Um, He practically came in my sea bag. Um, We met because he had a good uniform on one day. So we always kind of joke about it. And what happened was I had just arrived on base in San Diego and he um, was chosen to lead us around all the people who had just come from boot camp. He was chosen to lead us around the campus, the base, so that we can figure out where things were. Um, He was chosen because his uniform was sharp that day, right? So go ahead. Um, And after that, we re- we just kind of got to know each other and um, eventually decided we were each other's people. So, um, you know, to all you guys out there listening, stay sharp. You never know <laughs> what you're going to be chosen to do. Okay. And, and that might lead to your person. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now, for those of you that don't know, Mardi Gras is serious business down here in the South. Okay. Um, I have to let you guys know we have royalty in the building. Oh, my today. gosh. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, Christine and her husband, they have been named this year's king and queen of the Order of Glaucus. Yes, you said it right. Okay. (laughs) Now, before we get into detail about that organization and what you guys do for them. Okay. I need to tell (laughs) y'all about the revealing of the king and the queen for this Mardi Gras crew. Okay. (laughs) So 
First of all, we didn't know that she was going to be on the court. Okay. All we knew is that we were invited to this ball. We were having a good time and they, they start to introduce the court. And one by one, the people started coming out and they have on these beautiful gowns and these outfits. But when I tell you, <laughs> when, when they opened the curtains and revealed <laughs> the king and the queen, my God, today, okay, uh, the place went wild. <laughs> First of all, Christina and John had on all white, okay, and the amount of blingage <laughs> yes. that was going on, okay, from the crowns they were wearing all the way to their outfits, you know, all you saw was white and feathers and sparkles. It was gorgeous, just, <laughs> just gorgeous. <laughs> Um, so tell us now a little bit about your organization and what you guys do for it. So the Order of Glaucus is a carnival association. So here um, in the South, uh, specifically from Mobile all the way across the uh, Gulf Coast to New Orleans, you have various Mardi Gras crews. Okay, these are usually social organizations that get together, they do events through the year, and then during carnival season, um, they host a series of balls. Right. Um, so you can attend all these balls where royalty is named. Um, but our crew in particular is about three years old. The Order of Glock has made it their mission just to not be a social organization. We want it to be a service organization. So one of the main requirements for membership is to um, perform 12 hours of community service a year. Okay. And so that is what really makes our organization stand out. Most of the social organizations have some um, attributes that allow them to participate in community service, but ours, that is a main tenet, is a main requirement. Yes. And it really did align with my belief system, mm -hmm. with what I felt I'm called by God to do for others, um, is to just be of service yep. to other people. And this organization really stands for all of that. So for John and I to be the second king and queen of this fabulous organization is such an honor. Yes. We have such a good membership. We have um, such compassion in our organization that I encourage anyone who wants to have fun, who wants to participate in the traditions of Carnival and Mardi Gras to really look us up see what we're about. We're local to Ocean Springs. And if you just want to get out and get your hands dirty in the community and give to others, um, we're exactly what you need for that. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, um, we share something in common, and that is that our husbands are both cancer survivors. Yes. Praise um, God. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> so, we found out a few years ago about my husband's cancer. And at that time, you know, it was mild enough where there was no action that we really needed to do. Um, and then over time, it began to progress. Um, and thankfully, you know, we were able to stop it before it got bad enough. Um, he was able to have the surgery to remove the cancer. And now he's cancer free. Hallelujah. Yes. Thank God. <laughs> so tell me about your journey. How did you first learn about John having cancer? So um, John 
has, he's a talker. First of all, my <laughs> husband is a talker. Um, he's such a storyteller, a, a character. He's a joy to be around, yes. but his voice is his brand. Basically. Yeah. Um, he is a, a, a ultimate conversationalist. Mm-hmm. And I noticed, um, one day that he was having a little bit of trouble um, speaking. Mm-hmm. He was having troubles eating and swallowing, um, eventually became such a severe issue that um, he was having trouble just doing basic things like drinking water. And I noticed the changes. I noticed the change in his voice. Um, sometimes it would go really, really high pitch. And then sometimes um, he wouldn't be able to speak for long periods of time. And as a wife, you pick up on the changes in your husband. And I would tell him, please go to the doctor. Like, what's wrong? Are you okay? I'm noticing these things. And he's like, oh, I'm okay. Yeah. Um, and so eventually it progressively got worse um, to the point where um, we were at President Obama's second inauguration. Mm-hmm. It was cold. And I noticed that his voice almost sounded like he had helium, like he had swallowed helium. And I was like, okay, sir, (laughs) that's not okay. Something is wrong. Will you go to the doctor? Then I was a little bit more aggressive with my suggestion that he go to the doctor. And I said, hey, if you don't go to the doctor, I'm calling your commanding officer and tell him there's a problem and you need to get checked out, you know, and, um, you know, because sometimes you got to. (laughs) get some help. And um, my husband was like, okay, okay, okay. Okay. I get it. I'm a go. So I was out on a trip to see a friend of mine and he called me and said he had actually gone to the doctor. And while we were on the phone, the doctor called and said, um, I need you to come back in. They had um, taken a look in his throat um, and they um, determined they needed to do a biopsy. Um, They had done some scans and some things like that. And he said, um, we think you might have cancer. Um, I knew it in my heart before he ever got the words out that this was likely what it was just Mm -hmm. because he came back to the phone in a little bit of a a panic and he said they found a mass and they needed to biopsy it and before he could even say they think it might be cancer I knew so um I flew back over that weekend and I went with him um, to see the doctor and, and um, they did the pre-op and then they scheduled the biopsy. And he went through about four of those before they came back with a um, diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, when you hear that your loved one, namely your husband or your wife has cancer, immediately you go to the worst case scenario. You're like, oh my God, what does this mean? Um, But um, I immediately said, we're going to take a moment to be sad about it because I I fully believe in acknowledging your feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to say what it is or you can't tackle it, right? right. So we said what it was and we knew... um, Now we would spend a lot of time at the doctor. They were figuring things out because medicine is a practice. Okay. (laughs) Um, And so they got to practice, uh, you know, figuring out what is going on, no matter how much research they have on the subject. Um, But uh, we, we knew we had to 
acknowledge what it was, acknowledge the road ahead, and then we were going to come up with a plan to deal with it. So that's kind of how it went in terms of finding out what he had going on. And it's really, you know, a lesson in paying attention to your body Mm -hmm. and going to the doctor as soon as you know that things aren't right with you. That's right. And, And I love the fact that you as a wife saw it. So he he probably noticed it. But like he said, he thought it was nothing. But that goes back to the importance of having that wife there to have that help because we're able to see from the outside. (laughs) Yeah, it's a partnership. Yeah, it's a partnership. You you need to have that person to be your mirror um, sometimes and say the things you might subconsciously be afraid to acknowledge, you know, not everything is a cold, you know, and you don't have a cold that last five months, right? right. So (laughs) you need that person to hold um, that reflection up to you and say, hey, this is not your normal you. We need to look into this. And that also goes into uh, that women's woman's intuition and knowing, hey, something is off. You need to check it out. Definitely. Yeah. When you love somebody, though, um, when you love someone, when you spend your life with them and he and I have been together for the majority of our adult lives, um, your heart tells you that something is is not what it should to be. And that's on a variety of subjects. But that health, you're so connected to this person that the smallest um, variation from the norm is picked up on, at least in my household. So, you know, I can feel that energy shift. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what did this diagnosis do? um, How did it affect your household? Like, what was that immediate reaction to hearing the news? I know you said we we faced it. And and then from there, we, we faced our feelings. And then we were able to make a plan. But how did it affect your household in dealing with him and dealing with your children? What was that? Well, um, it was a challenge. I had two small children. I was in college. Okay. My husband had just finished his master's program and I was just going into mine. Um, We're a military family. So he was active duty. So another thought is what's going to happen to his job? Yes. security. Is he going to (laughs) not be in the military anymore? Um, So it was a lot of change in that regard. But Um, One thing that is very um, characteristic of me and my husband is we are people who will follow through with plans. So once we acknowledged what was happening to us Mm -hmm. and we spoke with the doctors, we said, well, this is one more thing we got to get through. And we developed a plan for our house, how we would get through it together, which Mm -hmm. was we're not going to focus on the bad stuff. We're anytime you're above ground, you're doing good that day, right? You might be sick, you might have a struggle, but you're alive to tackle it. And and so we put it on a checklist of things that we just had Mm -hmm. to get through that day, right? You have a doctor's appointment, I got to take off for work, we are going to do that together. I got to make dinner, I got to hire a nanny to help me with the kids. Well, we're going to do that. And we just really um, set our plans and made sure that we remained flexible to go with the flow. And we promised whatever we were doing, we were doing it together. And so it changed our household um, 
in the in the fact that we knew we would have to adapt, but we're Navy people. We adapt and overcome, right? right? So, you know, <laughs> come through Navy. Yes. Um, but that's what we decided to do. Right. So, yeah, we just decided whatever we we're about to go through, as usual, we would get through it together. Together. I love that. I love that. That is beautiful. It's power in having someone to help you there. But in community as well, too. Yeah, and it's power into speaking it. You sometimes have to say out loud what you're going to do. That's right. You know, you have to say it out loud with conviction Mm -hmm. and say, this is tough acknowledgement, right? And then say what you're going to do and do it. Right, right. And it's mindset. It's mindset. Definitely. Uh Uh Making sure that you have the right attitude about it and tackling it the way that you did um, because your mindset is everything, especially in a situation like that where you're you're dealing with that. Um, Fear. Definitely has a way of creeping in and 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 changing, you know, uh, how you feel about the situation. Right. Um, there were times where, with my husband, where before it was decided that we were going to have the surgery, the cancer was progressing and it was getting worse, you know. And every time he would go for a checkup, you know, he would come back and the PSA numbers were going a little bit higher, and you know, this meant that the cancer was getting it was progressing, it was getting worse, and it took a toll on both of us mentally, you know. It does. Um, and then on top of that, you know, fear, fear comes in, fear starts speaking to you and, and challenging you with those what if questions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there was a time where it seemed like there were a lot of people that we knew that were our age, that were our friends, they were passing away, not just from cancer. There were some from cancer, but there was some that, you know, life happened. Mm-hmm. And um, that took a toll on him mentally. Um, it was scary for me. <laughs> it was scary for me as well. And of course, you know, I played with those what if questions, but um, I found myself having to remind him and myself that, you know, this happened to them just because you have this diagnosis. That doesn't mean that that is going to be your outcome. And I had to remind him and myself about people that we know that have overcome, you know, they've, they've, they've been through it. They survived it. They've conquered it, you know, and they're living and they're, they're good today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, you know, we, it was an encouragement for both of us. We had to re- remember that. Um, so what I want to know is what are some of the ways that you supported John um, during this time? Did he have those moments of doubt and what if? Oh, of course. Um, I, it's natural mm-hmm. to have those moments right. of doubts and what ifs and um what if I die from this? Um, what will happen to my spouse and my right. children and everything? So um, uh, the way that I supported my husband was to, A, let him know, I got you, yes. okay? You don't have to carry this burden by yourself, right. you know? Um, I was working full-time at the time. Um, I still am, yeah. but I was working full-time and I was in school full-time. And so I needed him to understand that I had an income right. of my own own. Um, And I know that's not the case for every spouse and that's okay um, because your household, the way it's set up is your household. But I let him know that for us, I had this income and we had done some planning already. 
and um, and that I felt secure in that part. So I didn't want him to feel like you got to worry about that. I need you mm-hmm. to focus on getting better. That's can we stop right there? Yeah, we sure can. Because I want to acknowledge that it, it's important to have a plan. Mm-hmm. It's important to be able to be financially independent um, as a wife, as a woman. Um, not necessarily. I don't need you type of independence but the fact that if something happens in our field that we work in today yes see the amount of women that come in and they do not have a plan if their husband has passed away they don't have a plan and they might not be old enough to get the benefits you know um that come to you as a widow financial benefits right that come to you as a widow so it's so important i'm glad that you said that yeah i i will say this and because i i never want people to feel that um, the only way is to be a working wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is why it is so important while everybody is well and healthy to do some planning um, in terms of your life insurance, in terms of your wills, in terms of what to do with your estate. It is a, a real privilege. And sometimes it's not necessarily a privilege, but a necessity that a wife or a husband stays at home while the other works. Right. Um, everyone's household is different. Right. But the thing that should be common to um, every household is a certain degree of planning. Mm-hmm. While you're and while you can make these types of decisions that if anything happened to me or you, um, we want this to be executed in this way. Because when you are sick, that's the last thing you want to worry about is, oh my God, what is going to happen to my wife if Mm -hmm. something happens to me? Mm -hmm. At least have that part kind of taken care of where when you are in a situation where you're not worried about an illness Mm -hmm. or a sudden um, disability or a sudden incapacitation Mm -hmm. or death, death, (laughs) uh, by having these plans put in place um, when you can talk about it with your spouse, Um, you can save a lot of stress and fear later Mm -hmm. and allow you to expend those emotional resources Mm -hmm. to supporting your spouse. Or if you're the person that needs the care, um, you know, allowing yourself to get better and focus on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't mean to to take it. Oh, no, 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 no. But that's great because it is so important. I was actually going to get to that because um, when I was providing this support for John, mm-hmm. um, I was able to be positive. Yeah. Even when I didn't always feel positive, yeah. I was outwardly able to portray that for him yeah. um, while I was sanitizing the bed sheets and yeah. sanitizing the house for when his white blood cells would yes. drop from chemotherapy mm-hmm. or radiation. I was in there still being a positive force yeah. for him. But let me tell you, mm-hmm. On that same note, um, I had to set up some boundaries um, and the boundaries were tough. Mm 
Yeah. And they hurt some feelings, but they were necessary. And my efforts to be positive and mm-hmm. to, you know, um, kind of be a shining light for my husband on days where he may not have felt so positive. We had a lot of well wishers and a lot of people who wanted to help. Yeah. And um, I appreciated that. And I still look back at that time and I really appreciate um, everyone and their good intentions. Mm -hmm. But I did have to set some boundaries because I remember um, a family member had come over unexpected, unannounced, Mm -hmm. which was not okay during this time. But they came and um, one of the first things they were saying is, have you set up a will? Um, Are you going to get medically processed? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, my husband breaks down in tears yeah. and I had not seen him cry in this way. Um, and he was so upset and suddenly the good energy in the house was down. He was mm-hmm. upset and he was emotional. Yeah. And I was like, first of all, you showed up at my house unannounced. Oh, Secondly, <laughs> now you done brought the gloom and the doom. Yeah. And now, you know, we have this man who is already going through so much, um, feeling broken, feeling mm-hmm. down, feeling sad. Mm-hmm. And so I had had to, after that, really set some boundaries and say, please call before you come. Please um, don't bring anything without asking us if we need it, because now we have to store it. And what if he doesn't like that item? Or what if we can't tolerate what you're bringing in because of his therapy? Mm -hmm. And it did hurt some feelings, but, um, you know, apologies and, you know, explanations all came later. But um, for those who want to help, please be mindful that everything you want to offer may not be able to be accepted in that environment. Um, And for me, what I learned from that experience was that it was okay to set boundaries. They were helpful after I kind of established what we needed. But I also learned about people that sometimes when they want to help, it is their intentions are so good. It is that they want to help you um, get through your situation, but they are also helping because it makes them feel like um, they are able to do something. So it's really also about them feeling Better about your situation because your friends and your family who love you are also dealing with your diagnosis as well. So I had to really come to terms with the reason why people help. It is to benefit the person that they're helping, but it also is to soothe and to be a salve for their grief about what you're going through. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's very good. That's very good. Yep. Um, so now I can't imagine this about my brother, John, <laughs> but because he is the nicest person in the world. Yes. <laughs> but did you find that there were times that he was not a great patient that you? you might oh, yeah. With? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I've stormed out of many a room and closed the door and was like, Go take care of this yourself, sir. (laughs) Um, Yes. Um, There was times when it was challenging to have your brother, John, as a patient (laughs) in the house. Um, But there comes that constant reminder to yourself. He's ill. 
Right. This is hard. Yeah. He's used to being independent. Yeah. He's used to not needing me to do the things that I had to do yeah. for him. Yeah. So although it angered me and frustrated me, and I have to admit, sometimes I was very resentful yeah. about the position we found ourselves in. Real talk. Yes. Right I like, real you know, talk. I was mad. I was like, <laughs> you know, why we got to go through this? Right. Um, he wasn't always the best patient. And I had to tell myself that yeah. there was good reason why he felt the way he did that day. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, and another reason I, I wanted to ask that question because, you know, every patient is different. Um, and there are some conditions, you know, that we try to help our spouse through um, where it may be an uphill battle for us as the caretaker, <laughs> because there's some parts of healing and, re- and recovery that are their own journey to take. You know what I mean? Um, we can't do it for them. Um, I think about this in the case of PTSD um, and addictions and things like that, because they have to want to get better for themselves. Um, I've said it many times. It is not our job to fix our spouses. <laughs> All right. right. As the wife, we can put so much pressure on ourselves and thinking that their progress is our progress and it's really not, <laughs> you know, you can't determine your success or failure as a wife based on what they do because this is their journey. Um, so I just wanted to help someone with that today and encourage you to take the pressure off of yourself because it's not your fight. All right. That's my PSA for today. <laughs> so as I mentioned earlier, uh, being a caretaker, it can be overwhelming on the caretaker. <laughs> All right. You have the responsibility of not only taking care of your spouse, but also taking care of whatever responsibilities they had around the house that they're no longer able to do. Um, And then also, if you have kids, you know, that's a whole that's it's going to add to your plate and your kids, I know, have their own schedule. Yes. (laughs) All right. Um, So did you ever find yourself being burned out or overwhelmed? All the time. And um, I would keep myself busy, partially to keep my mind kind of off of the difficult um, parts. um, And that just added to feeling overwhelmed all the time. (laughs) Um, You know, being busy served to keep me from going into a deep depression, Mm -hmm. but it also added more to my plate than I probably should have had at that time. So that was a lot um, to tell myself I didn't have to do everything. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's good. That's good. So I want to talk about your faith during this time. Um, was there ever a moment where you or John felt like, Lord, this is too much. I need your help. <laughs> yeah. It, I I would ask for help all the time. Mm-hmm. Um that I knew. I didn't have much of a network of um, friends in the sense that, you know, some people just have, you know, all these legions of friends yeah. they grew up in high school with and maybe some college and right. friends you pick up along the way. But I was um, a military family. We're yeah. a military family. And um, we were at this duty station and I had a handful of friends, but I didn't have my people, so to speak, that I was closest to all the time around me. And I have family, but they were all 2000 miles away on a whole different coast and they have their own issues and their own work. So 
a lot of times the only person I felt like I could rely on was God. Uh Praise God. Right. (laughs) Thank God for that. Um, So I found myself. I never questioned my faith and and never questioned God's commitment to us. I I am one that really um, subscribed to the notion you can't have a testimony without a test. Um, So I knew that this was just our cross to bear in this moment, but I knew that God was helping us along the way. Um, So although it was hard and difficult and challenging, I knew if I didn't have anyone else, I had God. And so, so I was always keenly aware of that. Yeah, yeah. How did you get through those why me moments or why my husband? How did you get through those? What was the reassurance you got from God? The whole thing that you can't have a testimony without a test. How can you help someone that you can't empathize with? Right. Um, You have to have that one thing to pull on that one experience to draw on sometimes to be able to have that heart built to help others get through their moments, even if it's not the exact same thing, just the emotions you draw on from your own experience, your own past helps you. And so I always felt like we obviously had to go through it for a reason, even if at that time we didn't know what the reason was. Mm -hmm. So I never just focused on the why me. I just focused that it was what it was. And it was, again, one more thing that we had to get through together. Yeah, that goes back to the mindset thing. The mindset. Your mind is the engine. Yes, <laughs> it's so powerful. Right. And the way you perceive things, yeah. the way you look at things, yep. you know, you could say this is um, six of one, half dozen of the other. It's going to go. equal the same, right? <laughs> but right. if you look at it differently, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. can really change the way you get through it. Yes. So instead of focusing on the, why is it happening? I focused on the, how am I going to get through it? That's right. And then we can look back later after we're out of it (laughs) and, and see what lessons we really learned from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I can remember after my husband had his surgery, um, my boys were away at college and my daughter was in high school. So she was able to drive and get around for herself and, and do things which really helped a lot. Um, because that was less that I had to do. So she was able to uh, help out in her own way, like cooking dinner or, you know, going out to the store for something. I made her cut grass one time. She didn't like that. <laughs> but, you know, um, I had her help and I had the help of his friends, you know, as well to one of the friends came by and he cut grass for us, which was a big help. Um, It was like the little things meant so much because each one of them was taking something off of my plate, you know, Um, and that meant that I could focus and take more time to care for him um, and to care for myself. Um, So how were you able to find balance and to make everything work? Um, So um, my daughter at at the time um, was very young and she was into dance and and she still is till this day, but she was part of a dance team and um, I had made friends with some of the moms and I am so appreciative of them even today, but they kind of helped pick up the slack. They 
um, would pass by and grab her if I needed them to and take her to dance. And um, they would bring her home um, with my son. He was playing basketball at the time. And we had someone who did the same with him. If, yeah. if I couldn't make it that night, they would pick him up and bring him back. Um, and so, you know, that was something that really helped us get right. through juggling small kids. And I also hired someone to help care for my kids mm -hmm. on the days that I couldn't do it. It helped me get through school again and help me um, take care of my husband. So just understanding where my resources were and kind of aligning myself to be able to have the capacity to ask for that help yeah. from people that I trusted mm -hmm. and to say, I'm not going to be able to cook dinner every night for myself. Yeah. So maybe I need to hire this college student to come over mm -hmm. and spend some time with the kids and, and help cook dinner for the family that night while I was able to attend other things. That's good. That's good. Knowing about your resource, knowing what's available yes. to you and then not being shy or, you know, too ashamed to ask for help in those areas. And if you don't know where your resources are, mm -hmm. ask your friends. Yes. It is amazing <laughs> what your friends will know that you didn't know. Right. And that has become such a big part of even how I move about today. Right. I might be the expert at one thing and my friends might know to come to me for this type of thing, right. but I may not be the expert in something else, but I mm -hmm. sure know who to go ask um, to find out if they don't have that expertise, where to go and get it. That's right. That's right. So what did self-care look like for you during that time? So um, as we kind of talked about before, I had extremely heavy plate, full-time work, mm -hmm. um, a full-time college student, mm -hmm. dance mom, basketball mom, mm -hmm. all of those things. So time was something I did not have a lot of. Yeah. Um, but things I would do, mm -hmm. believe it or not, would go in my little tiny bathroom. I, I lived in a townhome at that time. Um I went in my little tiny bathroom. I closed the door, light some candles uh -huh. and throw some Epsom salt in the tub. And I would just <laughs> sit there. We call that me time. Yes, <laughs> that would be my meantime. Yeah. I would put some music on. And even if it was just an hour, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. twice a week. Right. That was the time I let everything go out of my mind. Yes. Um, and then when my husband had a part of the cycle of his treatment where he was feeling better, mm -hmm. I would um, go somewhere by myself. Yeah. Um, I remember taking a trip um, when he started um, going through his radiation. I remember I took a weekend trip. Mm -hmm. um, I remember receiving criticism from one family member from it. Oh, no. Um, like your husband's at home and he's sick. Yeah. Why are you on this you weekend on trip? <laughs> um, and again, boundaries, uh -huh. you know, I uh, reestablished some boundaries with that person, right. but I remember just saying that if I can't take care of myself first, mm -hmm. I can't take care of him. Absolutely. And we have been going through months and months and months and months of treatment at mm -hmm. this point. And he was doing better, which moved him from chemotherapy to the radiation mm -hmm. um, part of his uh, treatment plan. 
And that was a good time for me to say, okay, we have a few more months of this. I need a weekend that's not about caring for somebody else. I need a weekend where I can go out with one of my best friends and recharge so that I have the strength and energy to come back and be this wonderful caretaker for my husband. So, you know, I had to, you know, kind of check that person and say, mind your business. <laughs> um, but also right. I had to remind myself, yeah. not just people, but myself that it's kind of like being on a plane. You got to put your own oxygen mask on first before you put it on anyone else. Right. That's where I was going. So yes, say, ma'am. Right we there. right there. <laughs> exactly right. In order uh, to survive, yes, you need the oxygen mask on yourself before you can help someone else. So yes, beautiful, beautiful. So today, John is cancer free. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Thank God. Thank God for that. And, uh, tell us about the moment that you guys got the good news and and how he's doing today. So he is doing so great. I remember um, when he was done with his radiation therapy and they did all his uh, PET scans Mm -hmm. and all of that and said, um, basically, you're cancer free. What a sigh of relief it was for us. And during this time, we were also fighting for him to remain on active duty. So this was a wonderful, wonderful sign that he would be able to continue his career. Um, So I remember a first given honor to God, you know, um, you have to thank the giver of life in this and, um, And you know, and the healer, yes, the healer um, for, for this recovery. Um, And then we, we went out to eat. We went out to eat, to celebrate, and just to really reflect on all we had been through. Um, There were tears, there was laughter, there was such joy in knowing that my husband, my sweet, handsome husband was okay. And and then, you know, we we were able to share that news with our family. He's doing great today. It's been some years since he um, was diagnosed as cancer-free. He had um, been able to complete his time in the military. Yes. They had to make some modifications to his career path because when you are um, deemed um, cancer-free or your cancer is in remission, you still have to be monitored for years yeah. after that. And so in the military, he wasn't able to go back to kind of what he was initially doing before in the way he was doing it mm-hmm. because he still had these scans and treatments to go through um, for at least five years after his cancer-free free um, diagnosis. So we ended up moving. We moved from California over to South Mississippi. So a lot of people don't realize this is how we came to the Gulf Coast um, because my husband had just finished his cancer treatment and was going back to active um, service and um, back to a ship, but the ship couldn't get underway. So we we needed to go to a pre-com. Yeah. So that he wasn't out to sea, so that he could still um, be monitored. So we ended up coming here to the Gulf Coast, and he uh, continued on that journey. Well, I'm glad you did come to the Gulf Coast. Oh, me too. 
I know. I know. God has a reason for everything, right? Do it. Right. (laughs) So I want to know, what did you learn about yourself during this process? Um, I will say more than learned. I was reminded that I am strong. Yes. I am strong and um, with God's help, I can get through anything with love. I could make it through any situation in my marriage Um, with uh, care and compassion. I could be there for somebody else. I learned more about myself as someone who just gives love um, than I I think I learned about anything else, Um, how to love big Hmm. um, and how to love someone so much that you take the good, the bad, the ugly, Mm -hmm. you're truly there in sickness and in health. Mm And I'm telling you, when you go through something like that, it's a test of your marriage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a test of those vows. It's real easy to be there um, when everybody's healthy and happy. Um, It's hard when someone isn't being the best care, um, the best patient. Um, And it's hard when you have to not only deal with them, but you got to deal with their family. You got to deal with your friends Mm -hmm. and you got to deal with employers and Mm -hmm. everyone that is affected, you know, on the peripheral Mm -hmm. of, of your life as well. Mm -hmm. So I learned that I'm a really strong and compassionate and loving and God fearing person. All right. (laughs) Um, It reaffirmed all those things about me. Beautiful, beautiful. What advice would you give to that wife that's struggling to keep it all together? Give yourself some grace. Mm, Grace. You can't just wait for others to give you that grace. Mm. You got to first be able to give it to yourself to know that it is okay to need others. It's not anything that takes away from your own strength. Mm -hmm. You have to have grace and compassion for yourself so you can better give it to other people. If we can't be loving and forgiving to ourselves, we won't be able to demonstrate those attributes to others. So practice that on yourself. It's harder than it sounds Mm. sometimes. We're so critical of us. Um, And we're great. We're great spouses out there. Um, You got to affirm yourself and say those things and say, I am doing the best I can today. That might not look like it did yesterday. You might not feel as strong as you did the day before. And you may not be at your strongest in that moment. Tomorrow might be a much stronger day than the past two days. But you have to allow yourself to be able to go through the ebb and flow Mm -hmm. um, of that and understand that you can't be everything to everybody all the time. That's good. That's good. That's good. Well, Christina, I am so glad that you came to hang out with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Yes. It's always fun when we get together anyway. Yes. It's a party anytime. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And and thank you for having this platform. I have to tell you, as a, a, a female veteran service member, as someone who uh, feels that their life mission is to be out and be of 
service to others, to be of help to others. It is so wonderful to see you so naturally in this space, being a blessing to other people using your platform for all this good. So I appreciate being a part of this today. This was great information, and I know that it's going to help a lot of people that are, just like I said before, struggling to hold it all together um, while they're doing everything for their family and being the caretaker for their spouse. So I appreciate you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Leah. (laughs) Well, you guys, that is my time for today. I hope you found some comfort today and some reassurance in knowing that, number one, you're not alone. Okay, we all go through things that someone else has been through, and it's a blessing to be able to see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And by sharing our stories, it helps to bless someone else uh, that may be going through that same thing. And that's the goal of what I'm doing on this platform. All right, I want you to know that you can make it. Be sure to join us every Tuesday for another great episode and spread the word, sis, invite a friend, pull up, okay? <laughs> We'd love to have you. Check out the show notes for more information on I Am Coach Leah and connect with me through social media or on my webpage, all right? I would love to hear from you guys. All right, you guys, that's it for this episode. Until we meet again, I want you to be encouraged, be empowered, and be blessed. Peace, y'all. <laughs>